Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Welcome. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Honored to be with uh, you guys today. I want to welcome those of you joining us online whenever or wherever. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, We look forward to the day where we get to meet you at one of our campuses. And speaking of campuses, I want to welcome in those of you tuning in in Prescott Valley today. Thanks for uh, joining us. Well, I have the honor of kicking off a new uh, sermon series. So if you're new here with us, uh, we do a sermon series every summer that we call Variety Pack. Normally, we bring in some outside speakers. Really cool, though, this year, we're going to have all guys from our team teaching. So these are guys who serve in kids and students. They serve our church. You know them. I know them. And we're excited to hear them. I'm excited to hear them share the word of God with us this summer. Another really cool thing that we're doing uh, with Variety Pack is it's going to be a thematic study looking at the spiritual disciplines. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to learn more of these disciplines like fasting and prayer, Bible reading and Bible memorization, uh, worship, serving, and confession and community. And our hope and desire is that through teaching on these practices and studying these disciplines, that as a church, that we will be moved and then compelled to either start doing these or maybe strengthen what we're already doing as a part of our spiritual formation. And it's that word spiritual formation that I want to make sure that we have an understanding of because we're going to talk about this over the series. So what is spiritual formation when I say that? So spiritual formation is a process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. I want us all, and I think all of you would want to look and act more like Jesus. I think that's why we're here. And so having a process to do that is so important, but we don't just do it for us. We do it so that we can be a blessing, a blessing to our families and our friends, a a blessing to our church body and to our community at large. Uh, John Wesley once said that there can be no personal holiness without social holiness. So the work that's done in us should then flow out of us for the sake of, of others. So the first thing as we begin this journey, so to speak, that we all need to do is we need to take an honest evaluation of our 
spiritual formation? Like, what is the process that you are using to be formed into the image of Jesus for the sake of others? And ask yourself, is it in need of recalibration or repair or maybe resuscitation? Like for some of us, we have a pretty good process, but we know that if we don't attend to it in six months, we'll be a little bit off the path. And then in a year, we may look back and go, how did I end up here? But for some of us, we know there are some things in our process that are broken. And they may have been broken for a while. We've just figured out ways to work around them. Others, honestly, your process of being more like Jesus and becoming more like Jesus is dead. And it's in need of a fresh wind to be blown into. And that's what our hope is is that through this series, we'll be able to put these things in and they're going to be hard. We have to be willing to work to do the hard things. Spiritual disciplines are not easy. They are demanding cause of obedience. And we want to be a church that is full of people who don't shy away from that. You're going to have to be willing to endure some short-term pain for long-term rewards. And that long-time reward is a life that is totally transformed. I love how Dallas Willard put it. He said that the aim of disciplines in the spiritual life, and specifically in the following of Christ, is the total transformation, or is the transformation of the total state of the soul. And so my ask and prayer is that God uses these next few weeks, this summer, to change the state of our souls to do a mighty work in us so that God can do a mighty work through us for the communities we live in. And lastly, the spiritual disciplines are not how you earn the love of God, but they are how you can enjoy it. And so with that, let me pray as we jump in. Uh, Father, God, we are grateful uh, for this journey that we're going to embark on. We just ask, Father, that uh, you meet us where we're at, God, and you challenge and convict us to take an honest look of how we're becoming more like Jesus and do the hard work necessary to make the changes needed. And Jesus, we're grateful for your grace, your love, and your mercy. It's your name we pray. Amen. Well, there's an idea that uh, drives human behavior called the pleasure principle. Uh, The pleasure principle is the driving force that seeks immediate gratification of all needs, wants, and urges. It strives to fulfill our most basic and primitive urges, including hunger and thirst, anger and sex. And when these needs are not met, the result is a state of anxiety or tension. Uh, Sometimes it's referred to as the pleasure pain principle. And this motivating force, again, it helps drive behavior, but again, it wants instant gratification. And the science behind this says that as children, we aren't very good at balancing or controlling our pleasure principle. Thus, if you are a parent of a two-year-old and you've been caught in the grocery store with them laying on the floor throwing an absolute temper tantrum because you said no to some ridiculous thing that they didn't need anyways, you've seen this thing in action. Parents of toddlers, I see you. I, I am you, right? Generally, generally, though, we learn to control our desires as we age and the behaviors associated with them. 
But I think looking around our culture, I think more and more of us are reverting back to some of these childish ways. There's a lot of us who are throwing temper tantrums when we don't get what we want. There's a lot of us who can't control the instant gratification, and so we just, at times, ruin our lives. And the scary part is, it's becoming acceptable. You just think about the world we live in. Like We have an explosion of debt, both at a national level, but it's also a huge issue at the individual level. I was just reading stats that said the average American family now has $10,000 in credit card debt. That 40% of Americans have more credit card debt than they do savings. You see, we see what we want and it feels good in the moment, so we spend it to get it, ignoring long-term consequences. We see the rise of addictions. Like we have full-blown epidemics in parts of our country related to drug usage. Towns and families, communities ravaged and destroyed by the addiction to drugs and alcohol. And again, the long-term effects are massive. Just the opiate uses alone is believed to have cost the U.S. and its communities $1.5 trillion in 2020 up almost 40% from 2017. We see the continual rise of divorces. And divorce, like the other two things we mentioned, have massive long-term negative impacts. That divorce actually leads to a lesser quality of life. Studies show that men and women who have gone through divorce suffer higher rates of mortality and depression, illness in general, and substance abuse than those who have chosen to stay married. And that's just the men and women, not even counting the impact that it has on children. You see, all of this and so many other things are birthed out of people wanting and doing everything to fulfill our desires without any regard for the devastating long-term consequences and impact. See, as long as we run our lives on the pleasure principle, becoming the people that God wants us to become is nearly impossible. We cannot do that and live the way God intended. You see, the reality is, We aren't running our lives. We're being run by the flesh. And the scary part, but really true reality, is our systems and our community and our world is set up to feed our flesh. Like we have multi-million dollar marketing companies to tempt it, to market to it, to promote it, to draw us in, to make money off of us because of our lack of control over our bodies and our desires. So the question is, is there a practice from the way of Jesus to break free from the power that our body and its desires have over us? Or would it break free from the underlying pleasure principle that is driving us, that is leaving us immature and unable to live the life that God has called us to live? Yes. And it's a practice known as fasting. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on or turn them to Genesis chapter three. And as you're turning there, opening there, I want to set the stage. So what's happened is, is God has formed man out of the ground. So out of the dirt, God made man and then God breathed the very life into the man of God or into into the man. And so man is both a physical, made of dirt, but we are also spiritual. Like we have the spirit of God breathed into us. 
So both body and both spirit. Again, we're more than just a body, more than just this bag of bones, but we're also, our body, our physical body is a part of who we are. So this is the original design of man, one body and one spirit, but something terrible has gone wrong where our bodies now play the leading role for most of us. And this is where the issue came in. In Genesis chapter three, starting in verse one, it said, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Really interesting. Go back and read Genesis 2. That's not even in there. There's no thing about touching it. It says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And so sin enters into the world here with the inability to resist the desire that was sitting in front of them. The means of temptation are to eat or not to eat to resist the thing that looked pleasing to the eyes, to not give in to what we desire, but what is not for us. But it's bigger than just not eating. You see, it's about Adam and Eve and about us now not trying to redefine what God said is good and evil. And also about not trusting our own instincts to know and think what is right, but believing what God has established is right, and also not listening to the voice of the enemy in our ear. And so here we see Eve and Adam give in to the things that were pleasing and desirable to their eyes. For them, it was a piece of fruit on a tree. And for us, it's a litany of things, things that we see and want and just like them, we take and we eat. And so that's the problem. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter four. Matthew chapter four, four, starting in verse one, Jesus has just been baptized and is about to start his ministry. It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. This is the realest statement in all of the Bible, right? Of yes, of course he was hungry, right? Like, I know the Bible is true for this, that I get it, yes. It says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You should read this and hear this and instantly think back to Genesis 3. Matthew was intentional by writing it this way. We have Jesus face to face with the tempter. But unlike Adam and Eve who fails, Jesus succeeds. 
Unlike you and I who fail, unlike all of humanity who fails to not give in to the temptations, to trust our own instincts and give in to the desires, Jesus succeeds. And with that success, Jesus brings about freedom. Freedom from being controlled by our desires and by our flesh. Freedom to not live by the pleasure principle, but to live by the spirit. Freedom to move from death to life. Then the question is, how does Jesus succeed? Well, with the practice of some spiritual disciplines. And so the first one, we see Jesus embarking in solitude. And we're not going to preach about that during this series, but it's an incredible discipline of solitude and silence, just being present with God. The next one, we see Jesus has Bible memorization, that the enemy comes to him and tempts him. And how does Jesus respond? By quoting the word of God back. And he does it two more times if you keep reading in Matthew 4. Although our text doesn't say it, Jesus is praying. And how do I know if you're in the wilderness, in the desert for 40 days, not eating? I guarantee you you're praying, right? I know he's praying, right? And lastly, Jesus is fasting. What we see is after fasting for 40 days, we would think that Jesus is weak, but he's not weak. He's actually stronger than he ever was before. Was he hungry? Yes, the text tells us that, but he had the power to control his body and his desires to defeat the enemy. And so Jesus starts his very earthly ministry off by this practice of fasting. And then really soon on, he tells his disciples about it. Just a couple chapters over in Matthew 6, here's the words of Jesus. He says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. He says, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Two things here real quick. The first one is this. Jesus uses this word. When you fast. Not if, but when. Jesus had a belief that his disciples would do this. And those of us who are his disciples should do this. And the second thing, and it's super encouraging, Jesus assumes we're going to mess it up. Like already from the beginning, he assumes that we're not going to get this right. He assumes that we're going to do it for our own glory. So he says, don't do it like that. Do it, but do it in this manner. But let's just be real. Most of us, we don't do it, right? We, we, we don't fast. Sorry, we don't fast. I would say like 60 to 70% of us probably have never fasted or don't have any regularity with it. And I'm not talking about like intermittent fasting, which is all the fad right now. I'm also not talking about some of us who are a little older, who have to fast a little bit more before certain procedures are done. I'm not talking about that kind of fasting, okay? I'm talking about the fasting that is a spiritual practice to help us starve the flesh. So although like we collectively, as the church here in America, we aren't hitting home runs in this, that wasn't always the case. Most scholars believe that the Jewish people and all of the Pharisees fasted twice a week, Monday 
and Thursdays. So Jesus' teaching here in Matthew 6 would have made complete sense. Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount about his kingdom and what's the most important. And he gives us three things. He says, giving, prayer, and fasting. Those are the three things that he mentions. And so we move into the early church and we see that the early church shifts from Monday to Thursday to Wednesday, Friday fasting. And then really on early in the church, the church developed the practice of Lent. Many of us have maybe participated in Lent. If you're Catholic, you grew up maybe celebrating it. I think it's lost some of its original purpose. Because see, in the beginning, what it was is all of the followers of Jesus would not eat food from sunup to sundown for 40 days every year. You see, fasting is talked about in the early, by the early church fathers all the way through the first three and 400 years of the church. And it's talked about all the way through the 19th and 20th centuries by pastors and writers and theologians. So Jesus does it, tells his disciples to do it. We see the early church engage in it, but something has changed. Like it was a regular part of the practice of early believers that lasted a really, really long time, but it's not that anymore. And I think the biggest reason why fasting is no longer a regular practice is because of the hedonism of our culture and society. You see, we live in a culture that says, if it feels good, do it. But if it feels bad, stay away. We live in a culture that says all about instant gratification. Right? So to purposely choose to not eat food seems crazy to people, even believers. You see, we live with this mindset of we live in abundance. So why would I choose scarcity? I have all of this. So why would I deny myself of those pleasures? And so what is fasting? And why is it important that I think we get back to it? Again, what is fasting as a spiritual discipline? Let's talk about what fasting is not first. Fasting is not about losing weight, okay? So it's not a diet. It's not intermittent fasting. It's not the Daniel fast and all those things. Those are all well and good, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do them, but that's not the purpose of what this is about. It's also not a way to coerce God into doing something for us he does not wish to do. Not you saying, okay, God, I'm not going to eat, so I need you to do this really important thing for me. That's not how it works. Like, we're not twisting God's arm to get him to work on our behalf. And lastly, fasting is not a thinly veiled attempt to draw attention to oneself as a spiritual giant, meaning Matthew 6. So you're not walking around and everybody's like, woof, that guy, he's super spiritual. Look at him fasting, right? Like, that's not what it is. So what is it? What is fasting? So this is the... Josh Garrett definition. Fasting is not eating food, praying a lot, and it must center on God. So not eating food. So like giving up social media and don't watch cable and saying no to chocolate and not eating meat are all great things. That ain't fasting. Fasting is not eating food uh, and drinking water. That, that's what it is. It, it's also praying a lot. And the reason I say this, if you ever fast or you engage in the practice of fasting, you'll learn really quickly that prayer is a really big piece of it, right? Try it, come back to me next Sunday and we can talk. And lastly, and this is the most important, it's got to center on God. 
then this is all about God. This is not about Josh. This is about God and then what God is going to do in me and through me, of course, but this is all about God. I love how Dallas Willard said, he said, fasting is feasting, not on food, but on our Lord and doing his will. I love that quote. John Mark Coomer wrote this book, Live No Lies. He says that fasting is seen as a way to turn your body into an ally in your fight with flesh rather than an adversary. So that's the what. That's what fasting is. So why do we need to do it? Why do we fast? And I think it's really simple. I think the biggest reason is this. We fast to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. If our biggest issue is that we're bound to fulfill our desires with instant gratification, how can we fight against that and train our minds and our bodies and desires to accept short-term pain for long-term rewards? Last text I want you to turn with me if you're following along is Galatians chapter 5. And so we're going to start in verse 13. We're going to bounce around a little bit. But this is how Paul starts here in 13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And then in verse 16, Paul says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so what we have here is this idea of flesh versus spirit. Flesh meaning the thing that drives us to chase after the desires that give birth to sin. Flesh meaning the sins that lead to death. The thing that drives us for instant gratification, that inner Adam and even all of us, that drives us to rebel and to think that we know best that we can trust our own instincts and thus we can determine for ourselves what is actually good and what is actually evil. And it is a part of us. But, and here's the great news, it is only a part of us for those who have said yes and believe in Jesus. We have now been given the spirit of God to live in us and take up residence in us. And this means that our strongest desires may be lust or anger or jealousy, but it's not our deepest desires. See, as followers of Jesus, our deepest desires are fed by the Spirit, and that would be to glorify God and to follow Jesus with all that we have. That's what should be our deepest desires. But what happens is we don't feed the Spirit of God enough, and so we battle these fleshly desires that are strong that lust and anger and jealousy and rage, all of those things are strong and built up. But at our core, when we give ourselves to Jesus, we have these new desires given to us. And we want to feed those to make those grow. But the issue is we're caught in this world of already and not yet. The already of Christ having died for our sins at the cross, meaning God has already won our salvation, yet we remain incomplete and imperfect. And so because of that, we must work to battle, to starve the flesh more and more and feed the spirit. It isn't just going to happen. Thus enter in the practice of fasting. That in our fight against our flesh, our desires that want to drive us away from God, the practice of fasting can be a way to train our bodies to not get what they want, at least not all of the time. 
The fasting helps us learn how to not give in to the desires that are pleasing to the eye, to not trust our own instinct and instead learn how to lean into and listen to the voice of God that tells us and shows us what it is actually good for us and how to actually be free. You see, for Paul, freedom isn't just doing whatever you want. Look at what he says in verse 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want to do. Doing whatever we want is being led by our flesh, is, is slavery. It's not freedom. Being led by our flesh is slavery. It is not freedom. And again, freedom isn't about removing all boundaries and constraints. Freedom is for something, not from something. We get it so mixed up. We want to be free. We don't want any shackles on us, we say. That's actually the thing that hurts us, that God actually gave us boundaries in which to live in, and he knows what's best for us. You see, we want freedom to know to actually know what God wants, to actually know how we're called to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. And Paul, he helps us to see those. He actually identifies what is not of God and what is of God. He says it like this, but the acts of the flesh are obvious. And he lists them off, sexual morality and jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, envy, drunkenness. He says, I warn you as I've warned you before, that those who do such things, who live like that, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will not. He says they're obvious. We see them. He said those of us who continue to live by the flesh, that's not the life God wants for you. He says, but there is a life. There is a life that God wants, and there is fruit of a life that is lived by the Spirit of God, and he lays it off. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22, and we've heard these as love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. He says, against such things, there is no law. He said, if you actually choose to walk by the Spirit of God, you will begin to produce fruit that makes you look like Jesus. I say all the time, an apple tree does not grow apples just to look pretty. An apple tree grows apples so that we can eat them. We as followers of Jesus grow fruit like love and joy and peace and patience for our world to be able to ingest them because our world is lacking those things. That when I'm empty of love, I can grab it off another believer. When I need joy, I can see that in the life of someone else and it gives me hope to keep going. Paul says that a life that is actually walking by the Spirit grows those things. And again, I am being formed in the image of Christ, not just for me, but for the sake of others. And Paul finishes with one final command. He said, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. For those of us who belong to Jesus... We are called to crucify the flesh, to kill it, to put it to death, to not let it live, to starve our flesh and feed the spirit. Here's the question, kind of where the rubber meets the road. Like, are you? 
Better yet, do you even take that command seriously? Or maybe even better, do you even want to? Do you even want to kill off all of the things that will not allow you to inherit the kingdom of God? Because if you do, the practice of fasting can help. So how do we do it? How do we actually do this practice of fasting? So I am by no means an expert at fasting. I'm not sure if you could become an expert at it, but it is something that I have been doing since early 20s as a practice regularly in my life. From 20-day to 40-day fast, to week-long fast, to day fast, to just most recently when we moved here to Prescott, I did Wednesday fast for about six months, and all of those have taught me one thing. You just got to do it. Like, I, you're going to mess up. You're not going to do it right. I'm probably the worst to ask, like, advice-wise, because I probably did it all wrong. I just knew it was something I needed to do, right? I just knew I needed to intentionally choose to set aside time and commit to doing this thing. If Jesus did it, I feel like I should probably try to give it a shot. So some of the ways you can do it real easy, you can do lunch to lunch. So you'd wake up, you eat breakfast, and then you wouldn't eat again until the next day's lunch. You can do sun up to sundown. Uh, maybe you just start with one meal. Maybe you're like, whew, this seems crazy. Maybe I'll just try like dinner. That's cool. Man, just do it. Just try it, right? Maybe you're bold and want to do a 24-hour fast. Awesome. We're actually going to have some resource guides that we're going to have with this whole series that we're going to talk about later. But it's got some, hey, here's some really practical ways, beginner's way to fasting that we'll have for you. It can be done individually and it can be done communally, right? So Acts 13 and 14, really cool. The believers are gathered together and it says they're worshiping, praying, and they're fasting, right? It's so cool. They're doing it together. So maybe you and your, your life group does it. Maybe you and your discipleship does it. Maybe you and your wife or husband, maybe you guys do it together. The point of it is, it's not that it has to be done in secret necessarily. It's that I'm not doing it for my reward that you glorify me. So I have this group that I'm leaning in with, trying to become more like Jesus with, and we're battling to fight off all of these sins. And so we say, let's do this thing. Let's give our commitment and time and focus on what God is. Again, the point is, I just, you just got to do it. The last thing I would say that if you dare to do this, it is not an easy thing. Like some of you are not great hangry people, okay? <laughs> but it's more than that. Like you're choosing to wage war against your flesh and those sinful desires. And when you do, we got to watch out. Richard Foster in his book, Celebration to Disciplines, it's a great book. You can pick it up. It talks all about fasting, other disciplines. He says this. He says, fasting reveals the things that control us. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. Anger and bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. He adds that we rationalize in the beginning that we're angry because we're hungry, and then we come to the realization that I'm angry because the sin of anger actually is deep inside of me. You see, I know for me, these sins and many other root sins, they don't go quietly into the night. They fight back at every single turn. And mix that with the difficulties and complexities of life that as I've gotten older and realized, I needed something more. I needed something deeper. And fasting has been that for me. 
It has given me the knowledge to know what deep sins still reside in me, and it sets me on a pathway to find healing, to become more like Jesus. Because that's the goal. The goal is becoming more like Christ. Remember what we talked about, the spiritual formation is a process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. You see, I want to be more like Jesus because I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better pastor, so I need to be more like Jesus. I want to be a better friend and a better neighbor. I want to be a better member of the body of Quad City. I want to be a better youth football coach and basketball coach and baseball. I want to be better for our community. And I want to be more like Jesus, not for me, but for the sake of others, because we exist in a world that needs more people to look like Jesus and act like Jesus. We need more people to actually do the things that Jesus needs. And so I think fasting and any other spiritual discipline that forces us to look more like Christ is a worthy endeavor. So I would ask that you just consider it, that you consider, man, taking your spiritual formation to that next step. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful, grateful that you have rescued and saved us, but we do acknowledge that we are imperfect and it's still a work in progress, that there are a lot of days that our flesh wins. God, we just humbly want to be more like Christ, not just for me, but for others that you've placed in my life. So God, my prayer and hope is that as a church, that we lean into doing really, really hard things because it's good and it's worth it. That we are people who long long to grow in the likeness of Christ Jesus. So God, be with us as we embark on this journey this summer. Come beside us, Spirit. Guide us. We're grateful. Grateful for the opportunity we can learn and grow and become more like your son, God. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.